Good morning. Won't you share with a friend or two? Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host, Shantae Charles. I hope you've been having a great and wonderful morning, a great and wonderful day. It is Wednesday. Can you believe it's Wednesday already? It was like I closed my eyes and blinked, and it was Wednesday. (laughs) So I do want to say that I hope that you are having a wonderful Wins, W-I-N-S day. And this is Relationship Wednesday. If you're with me for the first time, welcome to season 12, episode three. We are still in the work from last season, but we are sort of finishing up. This is the book we're reading from on Wednesdays for now until we finish entitled what happened to you conversations on trauma resilience and healing and what's been interesting is as we are sort of winding down our time in this book more conversation in the social square and in the public square is actually picking up about these topics that we have been reading so i've been able to refer a lot of people to this particular book Um, If they want to understand the neuroscience behind their trauma and um, how they can work to heal it. Now, I have, I do have the book, The Body Keeps the Score, um, but I am not recommending that book due to the allegations of harm and harassment that have been brought forth by people who worked with the author. A lot of people are really upset about this because he was kind of like one of the first people doing this kind of work, talking about trauma and the effects on the body and all of that. And so it really does kind of put a stain on his work and his research because now, you know, people are coming out and saying that he himself is abusive um, and, you know, there's some things surrounding or involving um, harassment um, and even sexual harassment. So I do have his book, but this was really before I found out all of these things connected with him. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to read it now, but um, because a lot of people have said, well, yeah, he's, he's sort of set the tone for the conversation around it but since then because his book his book has been out for some years now since then there's been you know more books that have been written on it so you don't necessarily have to read his book which is good because i feel like one area of science or one area of study should not revolve around one person that's how we get very skewed ideologies about things when there's not a lot of counsel on a topic. So it is good to know that there is other books out here like the one we're reading. Um, 
I want to go into the reading first, and then I want to talk, hopefully, a little bit about um, reflective practices and spiritual practices today and how that can affect your relationship with yourself. So right now we are in What Happened to You by Dr. Perry, Bruce Perry, in conversation with Oprah. And we are in the chapter, Our Brains, Our Biases in Our Systems, chapter six, starting on page 223. If a child does not understand the underlying causes for their struggles, they end up adopting the world's view of them. They are dumb, slow, or lazy. It's a cycle of failure that chips away at their self-esteem until the child becomes so frustrated or ashamed that they give up. This is such an important point. The child who is struggling is not going to say, this poor teacher simply doesn't understand state-dependent functioning and the impact of trauma on my ability to learn. He should be helping me regulate, not conjugate verbs. They will say, I must be dumb. The other really important point about schools is how many children and youth are experiencing learning and behavioral challenges related to trauma. This isn't just a few children. Studies show that between 30 and 50% of children in public schools have three or more ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. And as we've discussed, these adversities have an impact. Let's say an older child has grown up with episodic domestic violence. When he was younger, he maybe saw his father belittling or hitting his mother. This happened at an important period of brain development when he was making primary memories to make sense of his world. His brain comes to associate attributes of men with threats. A loud, low masculine voice then would be connected with fear. Five years after these associations and memories were made, this young student has a male English teacher who happens to look a little like his abusive father, about the same height, same hair color, and deep voice. The boy is not capable of consciously making the connection, but simply sitting in a classroom gives him a feeling of discomfort. This originates in those pre-cortical lower parts of the brain. It is subconscious. Remember Sam, the boy whose father wore Old Spice? A person is rarely aware when they're activated by an evocative cue. Oprah's response, and since he's not aware of the association, how what happened to him affects his relationships, he may have a whole history of uncomfortable or sabotage relationships with male figures in his life. They may be coaches, teachers, or other men who could be positive role models for him but he unconsciously avoids or rejects the opportunities based on the association. It's like when you weren't aware of why you were afraid to be alone at night, Dr. Perry responds. You weren't aware of the associations you made earlier in your life. Our behaviors began to shape themselves around the emotional landmines left by previous trauma. But remember, the brain is always trying to make sense of the world. So this boy will struggle for an explanation. Maybe he decides, I must not like English. Or he starts to think that the teacher doesn't like him 
and then thinks that the teacher is a jerk. The teacher has no idea that any of this is happening. So let's say the student is struggling with a writing assignment. The teacher comes over with the intention of helping. He views his offer of help as a positive thing. As he bends to look at the work, his hand comes to rest on the boy's shoulder. But instead of being calm, the boy recoils, reacting aggressively before even thinking. The lower brain immediately says, danger, danger, and activates the stress response system, which immediately shuts down the cortex. So there's no chance for a reasoned, rational response. But later on, if you talked to the boy and said, you shouldn't swear at a teacher, he'd say, I know, it's not a good idea. But in the moment, he truly did not have access to that ability to reason. The more you learn about trauma and stress response, the easier it is to understand certain behaviors you encounter in the workplace, in a relationship, or at school. His brain, triggered by his past association with violence, sends the signal of threat, and he responds with fight or flight. Get your hands off me. Maybe even get your effing hands off of me. This aggressive, impulsive lashing out is completely baffling to the person working with him. He doesn't understand what is really going on. When he describes the scene to others, he'll say something like, for no reason at all, he just came at me. This is one of the most common descriptions of behavioral outbursts related to evocative cues. Out of the blue, unpredictable. The behaviors seem unprovoked. I just had another aha. So often we use the word snapped when we don't know where a burst of anger is coming from or why someone is having a violent reaction. Well, now we know. Something has happened in the moment that triggers one of the brain's trauma memories. And because the lower non-rational parts of the brain are its first responders, they immediately set off stress responses that then shut off the reasonable part of the brain. And so that burst of violence is actually the result of some highly organized processes in the brain. And in this case, the first thing the school is going to say is, what's wrong with him? The teacher, now convinced something is wrong with that child, reports him to the principal's office when what he should be asking is, what happened to this child? That's right. This child or adult will be viewed as a problem. And if it continues, they will be sent to the school counselor or they will be reprimanded at work or they will be suspended or referred to a mental health provider. And if no one in the mental health system understands that these behavioral issues are related to what happened to them, related to their trauma, then they will also make a whole set of well-intended but ineffective interventions. If, on the other hand, this school had the resources and tools to help its teachers understand the prevalence of childhood adversities and the impact of trauma on learning, plus strategies to help create a regulated, safe, and secure classroom, the behavior would have been viewed quite differently. Rather than suspending and labeling the child, the school would try to create a process to connect with and understand him. And I will say, at um, several of the schools that I worked at, we had processes in place. We had 
extensive training on social emotional learning and development. I have certifications in relaxation and de-stressing because my, my schools at the time sent me to go get training and certified so that I could learn how to help students relax and help them uh, with strategies and techniques to de-stress. To de I'm also a youth mental health certified um, person um, to, again, help students to de-escalate and deal with mental health issues. I'm not a therapist, but I am a youth mental health certified counselor. So all of this to say today, Anything you're really seeing happen in an adult, nine times out of 10 is stemming from unresolved issues in their childhood. So rather than saying, what's wrong with you? Try saying, what happened to you? Why is this so triggering for you? Why are you angry? Are you connecting this back to something that happened in your past? And if you have time to listen, then you should say, if you feel comfortable enough, tell me a little bit about it. If you don't have time to listen, you can say, thank you for sharing that it's connected to something in your past. Hopefully at a future date, we can sit down and we can talk about it whenever you're ready or when you're ready or when we have time. But I think it's important to um, continue to connect the dots on this because we still have lots of people dealing with unresolved trauma, unresolved trauma. Apparently, the, uh, the young girl, well, not really young girl, but the young woman, rather, who did the school shooting recently in Tennessee. They just found, they just, you know, found her journals. And apparently they also found a suicide note and the fact that she had been planning this out for some time. And so I wonder if the people in her life were ignoring some warning signs. Were they ignoring the warning signs? So I want to talk a little bit about the power of a retreat that I recently went to. And it was a retreat that was a, what they call an open house where, you know, for a week you can sign up and you can, you know, decide what days you want to go. And so my husband and I, we decided to go on a Friday and and stay until the Saturday because it was from like, I think Sunday to Saturday. So we went toward the end of the retreat time and there were supposed to be other people there. There really were. <laughs> but I said to the Lord, you know, Lord, I just really, I really want some time with you. I don't necessarily want, um, to have to do a lot of activities or anything like that. I just really want quiet time, self-reflective time, meditative time. And that is exactly what God gave me during that time, both my husband and I. So um, even though we were there and there were certain things that we did together, we both 
um, had our own time with the Lord and our own time to self-reflect, which was very powerful. But one of the things that we did when we first got there that evening, um, we had like a light lunch and then we participated in a creative activity. And one of the things that um, the facilitator asked us to do is she asked us to grab a canvas and she asked us to write onto, onto the canvas anything that we felt was hindering us. There was anything that we thought about or considered in our life that we felt like was hindering us, we could write it on the, on the canvas. And then after we wrote up about it and we prayed over those things that we felt were hindering us, then she had us to paint in white over the things that we had written. And it was a very therapeutic thing to do with a very therapeutic process. And then we participated in some poor process painting. And so I want to show you all uh, two of the things that I created while I was there. So this is one of them. And we'll see if I can bring that a little closer. And this process was very, very interesting because as we let it, you know, as we were going through the process and letting it dry, it was almost like we could see different things in it. That's one thing I like about a process like pore painting or abstract painting in general is that when you look at it, everybody doesn't see the same thing. It's okay that everybody doesn't see the same thing. You can see things differently. And so when I held mine up, some people said, hey, I see, you know, um, mountaintops and I see people walking through or I see large figures and smaller figures um, in size or it looks like a procession of people or it looks like um, a mountain with maybe some some fog or some clouds here at the top. So this was one of the pieces that I did. And again, I really enjoyed the process. Then she said, okay, now that you've done, you know, that, that process piece, I want you to just create, right? So have fun with it. You can continue to do the poor process or you can just create. So I did a little bit of both. And again, I tend to like stylized realism. I like abstract art. Um, I do a little bit of realism, but again, my realism is more stylized than it is um, what they call hyper-realism, right? So this is the piece that I did after I did the exercise. And I'm holding this up because I want you to tell me what do you see? What do you see? And I'll give you a minute to respond. Again, this was not a planned painting. This was a spontaneous painting. And it's abstract. 
But even as it dried, I was like, wait a minute. I think I see something. So you tell me what you see down in the comments. All right. But again, this was an opportunity to reflect, an opportunity to create. And, you know, this piece is now hanging up in my, in, it's going to be hanging up in my home. And um, it was just a beautiful time. Ah, you see a face. You see a face mask and a cup. Very cool. Very cool. So as I was creating this, I actually wound up seeing a face sort of in this area here and then a crown. And I was like, well, I think I know who that is that showed up in my abstract painting. So that's definitely going on my wall. <laughs> so um, again, it was a beautiful time. It was a beautiful experience. And then Saturday, I went to um, what the caregiver of the property called her upper room. And that was just a place that was kind of set, set apart as a prayer space. And I spent about maybe an hour in there just meditating, thinking, hearing, and asking God to speak to me. And that was the place where I received that message I gave the other week concerning Florida. There were some other things that I was um, shown and told, um, which I probably will speak on at another time, but it was a really, really good time of, again, reflection, hearing, quieting myself, being creative, and just simply being. And one of the things that we discussed um, during that time was a lot of time when people go on retreats, they want everything to be like organized. They want to be doing something every hour on the hour. It's got to be go, go, go. And this time it was the agenda is your will. <laughs> that is the agenda. That was the agenda. Your will being submitted to God's will period. And that was it. And I much prefer that over 5011 activities and not really getting the space to actually hear from God and spend time in his presence. So I am definitely going to be recommending this space. Um, she does do like quarterly retreats like the one we went to. But she also rents the space out um, all year round. So it is near a lake and it's up in the mountains in Virginia. It is past Charlottesville. It's about maybe two hours past Charlottesville. And I will say that the area that we had to drive through in order to get there, there were some there were some Confederates uh, flags in people's home in you know on people's properties, so you know of course you do have to be aware of your surroundings in the area that you're in, 
But once we got there, it was a very, very peaceful, relaxing environment. Um, it was all inclusive. So um, the cost included, you know, the stay and the meals. And again, it was really, really, really special time. I am still thinking about the time that I spent up there and how quiet it was and being able to see the Blue Ridge Mountains and watch the water and just stand there and just reflect. You can't put a price on that, especially if you're a person who knows that you need to slow down. You need to put the world on pause. This was a really good place um, to do that. So that is what I wanted to share today. I'm going to open it up for some conversation as we talk about relationships relating to yourself, dealing with your wounds and your traumas, and um, we'll, we'll pack it up for the day. But we've got about 20 good minutes here. So if you would like to come on and share today, please feel free to click the camera and I will bring you on. If you are listening by Anchor, this has been another episode of Daring Dialogues. I've been your host, Shante Charles. I want to thank you for your time and your attention today. Please check out our live podcast vlog on Instagram.com forward slash Daring Dialogues. Again, thank you for your time and your attention and your listening ear on today. Be well and be light.